and welcome to Existential Dread with Madeline Drain and Martin Loesch. Existential Dread is a podcast for creatives who are probably trying too hard, possibly tying themselves in knots but love their creative field. Perhaps trying to earn some money from their creativity, trying to break into an industry or just enjoying their passion and seeing how far they can take it. Existential Dread is letting you in on the secret that basically nobody knows what they're doing. So we're here to dispel the myth and give an honest account of the stuff that's going right and the stuff that's going up in smoke. Welcome to episode three of existential dread and today we're talking about what are we talking about maddie so this week we're actually looking at a creative myth that's the myth of the tortured artist so the idea of suffering for your art is one that kind of really permeates through history being attributed to figures such as van gogh frida Kahlo, sylvia plath hemingway so we're not going to go into major detail about the history of the tortured artist but it is a history that goes all the way back to the ancient greeks um, who thought that madness was a state of otherworldliness and could be caused by divine forces. Um, there are also Greek myths about Philises, whose wound allows him to invent this amazing weapon and wins in favour and social acceptance. And we see iterations of this in how we talk about these kind of long-suffering creative geniuses today. Like when we talk about someone like Kirk Bain, um, his creative ability is rarely mentioned without some reference to kind of his demons, as it were. And as creative people, it's quite a strange idea to engage with, the idea that suffering is something that facilitates outstanding creative work and it's something that can like make you out of the ordinary and make you something special. Yeah. It's true that it's it's so ingrained in in sort of the, the creative industry like mindscape or whatever. Um and as as a matter of fact we had a lesson with one of our tutors where that was the entirety of the sort of the point of the lesson was trying to get at your trauma or whatever childhood pain you yeah. had <laughs> to to understand who you were as an artist um as if that was sort of the thing that mattered most for you to be creative yeah it was literally a group of writers in a room being told having met each other maybe like three times yeah it was on like the third day, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, now sit in a group of like 12 people and tell everyone the worst thing that's ever happened to you yeah. <laughs> and how that's now going to shape the stuff that you write. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I kind of want to say it was a good approach just because of the ice breaking sort of aspect of it. But I don't, no. I think most people filtered out a lot, <laughs> yeah. like so much. You you just don't go for like the worst thing that's ever happened to you when you've just met someone no. twice. It was very strange. It was like, hi, nice to meet you. Me and my mum are on really bad terms. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had bereavement in my family. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah my name's Martin, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but I, I had a weird um, experience with that though, because I, I kind of felt like I didn't experience enough trauma like I felt like a bit oh. of a fraud. I had trouble Too finding. Too happy to be yeah. creative. And I was like, "What am I doing here? Like all these people have had horrible lives and stuff." <laughs> but then, but I'm just here. Like I have the privilege, and I come from a good family. Our parents <laughs> are still together. 
I get along with everybody. Oh my god, I you don't come from year. a broken home. No, you and... can't ever achieve anything, that <laughs> Martin. Sorry. <laughs> but that's kind of what it felt like. And you know what I ended up saying? I was like, oh, when I was a kid, my family used to make fun of me sometimes. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was my big trauma. That's what oh makes me god. creative. Now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, relatively. So it's tame. all your work about being bullied by your own family. No. <laughs> I, it never comes up. No. It just never... I don't even talk about family. See, I think I mine my past experience for the most tragic thing and then use it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't use it. You uh, you milk it is what it's called. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it's a bit... It's a bit weird that there's this insistence on, on suffering and, like, pain... Yeah. I mean, they do say right what you know. that's the only emotion that can be used in a creative way. Yeah. So we mentioned a few kind of tortured artists throughout history. Um, but I think it's interesting that still in the modern day, like if we're talking about someone such as Amy Winehouse, who was an amazing musical artist and created some amazing work. But when she's spoken about, um, people talk about her in terms of her personal pain and struggle. Um and I, I think partly that might be because her album Back to Black was such a personal album and kind of her struggle and pain was really in plain sight. Like she, you don't need to dig deeper into the ly- lyrics. She's literally talking about rehab. She's literally talking about being jealous and being cheated on in a relationship. Um, but there was also this idea that her having to keep performing her music was kind of too much for her. And this was like part of the breakdown that she was having. I think that was a point they especially tried to make in the 2015 Amy documentary that maybe if she'd been allowed a bit of space um, from this music that was created in a very tortured time, she might have actually been able to recover. Um, but um, yeah, Amy Winehouse is like a fascinating case study for that because she's kind of like the seminal, the the perfect example of the tortured artist who was too tortured to keep making art yeah which is why there's so many films and documentaries about her so much media and, about her yeah and there's a biopic being made soon as seriously well. still yeah, yeah there's a biopic being made that is the 2015 documentary that i mentioned there's amy 10 years on there's amy winehouse back to black and there's reclaiming amy which is kind of made by her family Kind oh. of in response to the 2015 documentary that was quite scathing of their kind of involvement in her career. I feel like people have seen it as like them trying to restore their own image as mm. well. So it is like appealing. The tortured artist trope in a way. Oh yeah, people can't get enough of it. People absolutely yeah. love it. And But I guess with Amy it was like a case of... Um, Oh, her unhealthy relationships, drug addiction and like eating disorder, was this like the cause of her musical ability? I don't think people really argue that it was. Or was it the fame and success that kind of led her down such a destructive path? And I guess that's what a lot of the media is trying to figure out. Right, like the media killed her essentially. Yeah, is it the tabloid newspapers that killed her? Yeah, I guess the rawness of her music really kind of welcomed the judgment of people um, where people kind of felt ownership over her story and like felt like they were entitled to kind of think like they knew something about her life. And I feel like this is a thing that happens with 
female musicians in kind of like mo- the modern day um, quite a lot, where people where their personal lives feel really feel like up for grabs and up for debate. And somewhere in the mix, the artistry between pain and the finished product are kind of dismissed. Like it's one of those things you see like online in a very offhand way, people being like, oh, I never want Adele to be in a happy relationship because she won't write good breakup songs anymore. Yeah. And it's like, that's interesting because I don't think male artists quite have the same thing where their work is reduced to the emotion that maybe triggered that creative project. Yeah, it's all about the art rather than the torture bit, right? It's like less about the finished product than it is about the pain or whatever. That's kind yeah. of a fucked up thing to say. I wish you're not happy because yeah. <laughs> g- g- give me the goods, please. Yeah. And this is what I love about Taylor Swift because I feel like she almost kind of disproved it. She was almost the poster girl for that kind of debate where people were like, oh, she just writes songs about boys. Like she got, in, she would be in a high profile relationship. It would go to shit. And then there would be an album. And people were like, really used that to kind of beat her with like, oh, look, she's not even talented. She just gets fucked over and then writes a catchy song about it. Mm. Um, Totally dismissing the fact that everyone can get fucked over and not everyone can write Taylor Swift's music. (laughs) That's talent though, isn't it? Something (laughs) happens to you and you make great mass appealing art. Like, I don't know, I can can do that. I mean, I don't. Exactly, if anyone could do it, anyone would do it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. No, but then she kind of disproved it because she wrote this whole album, Lover, that was just about being happy and in love and that, and using a happy, positive emotion to write really emotive, like, appealing music that people really connected to and people really... And that still did, did well or... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it was just like, ah, oh, well. So it turns out it's not the tortured artist that they like. It's just that Taylor Taylor Swift is that good. Taylor Swift's just that good. Yeah. And it's... But it's about using an emotion. It's not like you can use a negative emotion, but she showed she could use the emotion of love and the emotion of happiness and... Yeah. And that she's immensely talented, so she knows how to do that. Yeah. But then I think if you look at someone like Ed Sheeran, again, he writes a lot, a lot of music about relationships, heartbreak. Like, those, he kind of works in a similar sphere to Taylor Swift mm. in terms of the kind of music he writes. And nobody dismisses his songwriting to, like, being like, oh, he just writes about girls. Yeah. It's like, all of his songs are about girls. But no one is... That doesn't take away from his songwriting ability for most people yeah nobody questions his talent yeah yeah that's quite interesting another another example of misogyny <laughs> on the internet yeah great in case we were lacking in those yeah in case you needed yet another one yeah but you oh, know kind of who awesome. never gets kind of accused of using their pain to create great music who Britney Spears Seriously? Do you know what I mean? Like, she has had one of the most troubled personal lives and nobody seems to think that that reflects in Into her music. It's weird. Yeah. But I think one of the big issues with the tortured artist trope is that we tend to conflate Tor- me- tortured meaning like um, 
having mental health issues or like generally depression. Yeah. Um, although there are different, you know, drug abuse, like substance abuse problems that also comes in, but kind of all the discourse that you can find about it is either the suffering and relatable suffering in anyone's life, like a breakup, or it's like someone who is, you know, doing drugs all day, like literally just, and or like the Kurt Cobain type who is, it was an alcoholic and a drug abuser. Yeah, like a seriously like ser- doomed from the beginning, yeah. tragic story. Um, and it just seems like it's a weird sort of range of things yeah. that could happen in your life that would count you as tortured. And there is um, sort of a historical context to it. Because back in the Dizzle... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, back in the day, back in ancient Greece... Oh, that Dizzle. That Dizzle. That old, old... <laughs> that far back. Um, yeah. Um, things that we consider now as being on the autism spectrum were considered being touched by the gods okay. so like it, it, it would be called the divine madness um and there's even quotes by like aristotle and stuff where he says that anyone who creates anything has to be touched by insanity yeah. i mean as far back as that um, yeah it's been sort of present the idea that you need some sort of craziness but i think that just means different perspective on life which is why art is interesting or compelling it's like, oh, it's something that I'm not used to thinking about. Um, but I think it's just been taken to mean you're mentally ill, ergo, you make good art, I guess. Yeah. Ignoring the fact that most people who suffer from a serious mental illness probably don't have the time to, like, write Shakespeare. Yeah. Because having to deal with that and also mental... Uh, yeah, having to deal with mental illness and also, like going through the struggle of working through creative work or whatever yeah it's not something that you can just like fly out in a single night in a kind of heightened state of like feeling and emotion it's like woo done yeah like most creative projects take a lot of time effort and dedication i just think of someone having like a manic episode and being like oh i fucking i wrote a whole book tonight and it's like that's Instead of looking after ourselves, we think, how can I use this and, like, use this to, like, milk any last it's... bit of creativity and talent out of myself? And it's like, whoa, actually, no, look after yourself. Get yeah. better. <laughs> it's like the insane sort of productivity mindset. It's like I need to be yeah, productive in all the moments of my life, especially the bad ones, because that's yeah. when I'll do the best work. So it's kind of a dangerous story to be telling creative people. It's like, yeah, really, like sit in the worst feelings that you have and use and them, use them yeah. rather than in a healthy way deal with deal them with and... them and move past them yeah that's like yeah that's a bit of a scary thing yeah because also i think most of the time if something bad like if like a big event has happened and you do use it in your creativity a bit of hindsight is really important for that like because you, otherwise you create a very one-sided one-dimensional thing so i don't actually think it even will would work if you did it if you kind of really believed the ancient greeks <laughs> yeah well interesting that you mentioned that because i found a study um that 
basically, I mean, it's one study, it's very anecdotal, but it's a person that basically looked at um, the selling price of different artworks right. and um, like cross-referenced it with the period of the life of the artist and what was happening. So they looked at um, traumatic experiences in the life of the artist, like bereavement, loss of a closing, you know, whatever yeah. they could find. Um, and then looked at the art that was made within that period and then compared the selling price to the other art that they made. And they found that consistently um, the art that was made during a traumatic period sold for less money than the art made. Oh, shit. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. And, like, you really wouldn't think that. that. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, it does make sense that you wouldn't create better art if you're in a really bad place. Yeah. Because you're not really... Maybe five years later, that's when you come out with yeah. the goods. Yeah. It reminds me of what we were talking about. <laughs> um, the Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. And, like, he lost his brother in a super tragic accident. Um, and we, when we find that out, we're like, oh, my God, like, I bet he's used that in so many roles afterwards. And, like, because he's such a profoundly raw actor or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then we discovered that, like, he didn't do anything for five years and, like, focused on grieving and, yeah. <laughs> and dealing with the loss of a family member in a very healthy and yeah. normal way. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's the right thing to do. <laughs> That's probably the best thing to do, but eh, what a waste of a brother's death. <laughs> It was all for nothing. Oh, you did, your brother died for nothing. But that's that's the fucked up discourse that you have to deal with now. Yeah. And then, <laughs> what a waste. What a dark way we went with that. We did. But I think that's, for me, that's the biggest problem with the trope. Is that it fetishizes pain. Yeah. And it makes it, like, not necessarily a desirable thing, but a thing that needs to be used. And it's a waste if you're not using the pain. For productive yeah. purpose. But are you just bitter because you're really privileged and <laughs> bad as it happened to you? Yeah. I'm fully like, fuck this. I can be as good as all the other ones. It's like, I have to disprove this. I've had nothing but fucking two thumbs up my whole life. My parents are so nice to me, for fuck's sake! <laughs> I mean, there's definitely artists that have struggled with drug addiction that just like turn back to drugs because they feel uninspired. Yeah. And they feel like they want to feel on the edge. Because they want to feel something. Yeah. Because there's a numbness that comes with... From I'll drug, just get my juices flowing. Withdrawal, I hear. I, <laughs> I hear apparently... <laughs> yeah, right on the street. Apparently, I heard you write better if you're drinking whiskey. That's just... I heard it from my good friend, uh, Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an episode of New Girl, actually, where one of the writers on... Um, like, one of the characters that is a writer just gets really drunk at the zoo because he wants to write a novel and he's like, I'm going to be like Hemingway. <laughs> so he goes to the zoo like Hemingway did? He's like, oh, he went to the Congo on a safari yeah. and he was drunk the whole time. Let me just... But yeah, that's... Sure, I mean, that's obviously comedy. Yeah. Do you <laughs> think a... someone's that's happened to people? I mean, they wouldn't be able to satirise it if it hadn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, that might that's be a genuine... Joke. A genuine worry, though. Like, someone going out of their way to have a sad life. I mean, I have tried to comfort myself at moments where I felt really shit and been like, oh, I'm going to use this. I'm going to write something and I'm going to absolutely annihilate them. Yeah. Okay. And then when I look back on the notes that I made at that point, I'm like, oh, this is nothing. <laughs> this is... Nobody wants to hear this. But maybe that's more of like the art as a therapy thing. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, maybe I just need to start a journal. Mm. And that's really what that was. <laughs> it's just you writing a diary. Yeah. And then reading back, like, dude, that's a movie. Yeah. That's a film right there. <laughs> Another study I found that I thought was also kind of cool is um, a um, psychologist went to a bunch of students in Amsterdam and mm-hmm. Amsterdam University and showed them uh, Van Gogh's sunflowers. And he separated the group into people that had an idea about Van Gogh and his life and what the painting meant to him at the time. It was like right after he cut off his ear, famously. Okay. Um, and into students that had no clue uh, about it. Right. And then he basically compared um, what they rated the painting as and the people that knew what Van Gogh was going through rated it higher in artistic value than the people that didn't know. Oh, interesting. So there is genuinely, like, the trope lives on. Yeah. Like, people think it is... It creates a bias. Yeah. Towards creative genius. So the more in touch a viewer or audience is with the emotion of the creator, the more they value that thing or think yeah. it's amazing. I mean, with this particular study, it's about the self-mutilation. Like, the Van Gogh's thing, like Van yeah. Gogh's trauma or whatever. Um, that's what that was about. Yeah. But I kind of want to say it's about any emotion. Like, I'm sure, yeah, if you show the painting of a, a happy person... I guess they, you would be like, oh, and you knew they were happy. You'd be like, oh, it's a good painting because it's happy. I don't know. Yeah, but if you showed the same group a painting and they knew the person was happy versus a painting where they knew the person was sad, <laughs> do you think they would rate the happy one as just as creatively genius? Yeah, actually, no. I don't not. think they would. I yeah. think people value pain in the creation of art yeah depressingly very sadly yeah <laughs> but i reckon the the control group that knew nothing about either it would be the same yeah i mean this is not how science works but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what i've decided the outcome science would be. <laughs> i think this therefore yes in conclusion <laughs> So uh, one of the questions that seems to come up a lot is to what extent does recognition and success then create its own type of suffering uh, rather than the other way around? Like once people have this platform, it kind of facilitates a lot of craziness that regular people just can't get away with. Like, you know, if John down the road was having a really hard time, it's probably not because his record label threw some mad party with bottles of cocaine at every entrance and he accidentally relapsed because of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. People that like, I'm having trouble paying my fucking mortgage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's this whole different plethora of stuff that can go wrong for a famous person. So this kind of got me thinking about people that have become more famous for their kind of ridiculous antics. Um, and I wanted to play a game. Um, yes. about I love games. Yeah, <laughs> about Ozzy Osbourne, the lead singer of a heavy metal band called Black Sabbath. Um, and he's done some pretty crazy stuff. The game is called Aussie Is or Aussie Isn't. <laughs> what a title. I'm so excited. Yeah, Aussie Is or Aussie Isn't. Yeah. It rolls off the tongue, that. Okay, so I'm going to say 
a statement about Ozzy Osbourne, like a headline or a fact about something that he's done, and you have to guess whether that is something Ozzy has done or something he hasn't done. Okay, is it Ozzy or is it not Ozzy? Yeah. Okay. Ozzy is Ozzy, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. Genius. Okay, hit me up. I'm ready. So, one of his most famous thing that he did that's a bit crazy is he once bit the head off a live bat (laughs) on stage. So I'm going to give you a few reasons as to why he justified this and then you guess which one is the real reason. So it actually happened because I wasn't sure if that was actually true. He did do that. He did do that, yeah. I'm giving you a a helping hand on the first one. He he actually (laughs) did bite the head off a live bat um, on stage stage in front of thousands of people. Okay. Did he do this because... He thought the bat was a rubber bat until he bit the head off it and blood filled his mouth. Oh, oh, oh God. B, he thought ingesting the blood of a bat would give him superhuman abilities. <laughs> That's how Batman, he's like Batman. It starts biting. That's how Batman got his Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to be in my own Marvel movie. <laughs> or C... Uh, Spirit told him that his family would be killed by bats and he wanted to send a message. (laughs) A very public message to music, presumably. No, to the bat community. No, as in to music, music is playing. Oh. He's addressing music as a concept going, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) Okay. So he thought it was a, a prop rubber bat. Yeah. For some reason, that would be yeah. on stage. Did because I'm picturing it. I don't know how accurate this is. I'm picturing it a bat flying around and he like catches it out of the air and like bites it off and it's super badass. But it, I'm I'm assuming it's more like there was a caged bat and he grabbed it. I'm not gonna give you any clues. Okay. Yeah. Well, to guess. realistically, I as much as I would love that. That first scenario where there's he just catches about midair and then bites the head off. I don't think that's true. I do buy that he would think it's rubber. Because it's like, why would I have a bat on stage with me? Like a live bat? It's definitely not the superpower one. Although he's probably bat bamboozled in his head. <laughs> that he he's, would He's got some theories as yeah. a man. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's the first one. He thought it was Oh, it's so disgusting though. Is that your Imagine final answer? Imagine he just crunches and goes, oh. I, yeah, I think the first one is the okay. most plausible one. That is the correct answer. Woo! One point to me. And I can tell you how it happened as well. Because okay. So he and his, he had this thing with his fans where he would, they would like throw stuff at each other. And so he used to throw like raw meat into the crowd. I know, okay. disgusting. Um, imagine <laughs> getting hit by You like, just had a gig like. Fucking leg of lamb mid- Mid gig, just a T bone right in the yeah. <laughs> right in the face. So his fans used to like bring stuff to throw on stage, and these two like teenagers had a pet bat that died, and they were like, "Oh shit, that'd be perfect." So they brought the bat, oh. threw it on stage, and so it was already dead on stage. And he thought they'd just thrown oh, no. a rubber bat onto stage. <laughs> Bit the head oh, off no. of it. I feel sorry for him now. But bats are like a huge carrier of rabies, so he was like rushed to hospital to like get rabies shots. <laughs> oh my god. Did he like stop the show or did he just keep going? I think he finished the show. Oh, what a yeah. rock star. What a yeah. legend. Wait, so these two teenagers carried a dead bat 
Yeah, they brought it in a plastic Ziploc bag. At <laughs> <laughs> the interest of the gig, they're like, can he... And he goes, yeah, yeah, I just carry this bat around. And then they watch their former pet get his head bit oh off its God. dead body. Absolutely traumatising. Well, okay. there you go. There's an art thing. To, yeah. I'm sure you can channel that into some great yeah. music or whatever. Right, I've got a ton of these, so I'm going okay, to press on, on to the next let's one. Let's move it okay, on. Okay, the next Aussie is Aussie isn't. <clears throat> Aussie is. <laughs> so in his Miami mansion, Aussie installed a tennis court specifically so he and his collection of rare African lizards could sunbathe in peace. <laughs> <laughs> There's too much to unpack. He's So he doesn't play tennis? I'm giving you no other clues. Okay, I'm going to assume he, ha- he doesn't play tennis and he just... No, but why would you? Because you could just do a big, big sun tanning room. Also, a rare, a rare African lizards. P- plural. He owns several of them. But surely, if he's rich enough, he doesn't need a tennis court. He needs like a vivarium or whatever. I'm gonna say bullshit. I'm gonna say that's <laughs> that's total bullshit. There's no reason why a tennis court, out of all the things that he could make it into, unless he plays tennis. Imagine Ozzy Osbourne playing tennis, though. Ooh, what a match. Sight. Yeah. I'm going to say bullshit. Okay, you're correct. Yes! Ozzy isn't. <laughs> Ozzy isn't playing tennis. No, wait. Ozzy isn't sunbathing with the lizards. Okay. Ozzy was banned from the city of San Antonio, Texas, for 10 years after urinating on a historic building, <laughs> the Alamo, while wearing one of Sharon Osbourne's dresses. <laughs> Ozzy <laughs> is fully probably didn't even know what it was he was like oh this fucking this, this old building yeah it's true it's, it's true Ozzy is he's like I, I, I need a whiz yeah he was oh Sharon I need I don't know his accent oh, oh Sharon I need a please whiz please don't do the accent stop. <laughs> she's like oh just wear my dress wear me dress Ozzy so she was actually trying to stop him from going on a drunk walk so she hid all of his clothes to try and stop him from going out on a drunk Does she walk. not know who her husband is? And he, so then he put on one of her dresses to go for a walk and needed a wee. Okay. So. Ozzy's wife once found him hiding under a piano with a shotgun trying to shoot their cats. <laughs> At the time they had 17 cats. I don't know how many cats they had after he was done shooting. <laughs> so he got a few of them. I'm going to say Ozzy is again. So he's trying to kill his own cats. I mean, yeah, he had a shotgun. Yeah, it wasn't like, yeah, Ozzy is. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Oh my god, yeah. why? What's the backstory? Um, I think he was on a lot of drugs. Mm, okay. Yeah. He had a bloody knife in the other hand and a shotgun as well. Oh shit. Yeah, kind of dark. Very dark. Yeah. Did he make any art out of it? Uh, yeah. Is uh, that the question? Yeah. I don't know. Did he write a song about it? I hope so. Did he get, did he get up with his bloody knife and then shotgun and start playing the piano? Start playing the piano immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so despite being famously addicted to drugs and alcohol, Ozzy Osbourne says that the only things he is truly addicted to are cigarettes and dib-dabs. Dib-dabs? Yeah. Claiming that often he will smoke even while in the shower and has dib-dabs shipped to him by the pallet. What's it? Is it is dib-dab like a, like a biscuit, like a hobnob? Like oh, so it's like biscuit. it's like it's like sweet. So it's like sherbet with this like other sugary stick that you like put in the sherbet. <laughs> okay, so you, oh, oh, they're okay. really fit. They're really nice. <laughs> they're really fit. 
So he's in the shower smoking and, and dipping sherbet. Well, it, it, he says he smokes in the shower. Okay. But he's also addicted to dip dabs, and so he gets them like... I can, I can imagine him smoking all the way into a shower. Just lights up out of bed, walks in the shower. Straight into the shower. And then also dip just, dabs. Yeah, just like leaning out the shower to smoke. It's not, it doesn't sound like the most rock and roll candy, though. But I mean, he is What a candy of... is rock and roll? Pop rocks. Fucking <laughs> hell, that one. Of course. Of course, pop rocks. There you go. Um, I'm going to say... I think it's a trick question, because that's like too normal. I'm going to say Ozzy is it. Oh, you're really good at this game. Oh, I nailed it. Oh. I did think it was true, but wow, okay. Did yeah. you make that one up? Yeah, I made up all the ones nice. that aren't true. Okay. I thought oh, no. the tennis court one was the most true, though. Yeah, <laughs> I was like... that was... That was good. Well, not good enough to trick you. Okay. I just know my Aussie too well. Yeah, you do, clearly. Okay. When a new sound technician joined Black Sabbath mid-tour, Aussie initiated him by piercing the man's genitalia and telling him they oh. all had matching ones. <laughs> the, pi- the piercing later got infected and the technician was rushed to hospital, only being on tour for a week. <laughs> so they had to get a new one. Also, also pierced his balls or whatever. Maybe they retired the tradition yeah. after that. Yeah, I think it, I think it's implied that the, the they... others did not have oh, pierced God, genitalia. Poor guy. Um, yeah. I mean, it sounds like one of those tour pranks that you would get. So Aussie is. I'm gonna say yes. Aussie I got one. <laughs> oh, <not true. laughs> that is good though. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> that is good. Yeah. All right, next one. Next one. All right. Ozzy Osbourne once accidentally drugged a vicar with <laughs> Afghan hash and had to carry the vicar out of the house when he passed out. Why does he have a vicar around? 13 biscuits and a little bit of Afghan hash. <laughs> <laughs> Will he come for dinner and uh, maybe a doobie? Importantly, the vicar was not offered it. He was drugged with he it. Was, he, was, he roofied a, a vicar. Yeah. That's... I'm Aussie is, I yeah Aussie is. I want that to have happened to a vicar. It yeah. Happened. Oh yes. <laughs> it does sound the... as if it was an accidental drugging. It was in a cake, <laughs> and they served the cake to the vicar, oh. and like then they were like, oh shit, that's the Afghan hash cake. <laughs> See yeah, got the wrong biscuits with the tea. Yeah. Okay, happens I mean to the best of us. <laughs> that's happened to me. Really? Yeah, I went to a friend's house and I had I I was on my lunch break and we're like, oh, let's have a lot. He used to live five minutes down the street and he had like a plate of biscuits like out like it's drugs. You put it away like right. You store it in a safe space so that this sort of thing doesn't happen. And he just had it on a plate in his in his kitchen. And I just was like, I just took one when I was was leaving and I'm driving back to work. Oh, no. And I'm at a red light and it just, I turn and everything just, like everything slows down. And I was at work giggling my ass off and I'm like texting my friend going, what the fuck? Was this when you were a driver as well as a job? I was on a little scooter, no. You were on a scooter? Yeah, I was on my little You're still driving? Yeah. But still, that was really bad. I got to work and I just, I couldn't focus. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh, terrible. But I mean, I had a good time at work, so. Yeah. No, maybe. I think that vicar had a great sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he had to say mass afterwards? Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> He's like, and then God <laughs> just starts giggling. Uh, all right. 
Next one. Next one. Okay. What one am I doing next? Okay. What other animal has Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off of? That's not even Ozzy as Ozzy. No, it's not. I'm taking a guess. Okay. What other animal would a fan of his carry to a show? Um, I'll give you a hint. It was at. um, It can be too big. It was at a sales convention. It was not on stage. <laughs> what? Why was he? Why was he at a sales convention? Like a music. Was he selling printers? Like a like hit a, a records sales oh, okay. convention. So like his record yeah. label at the time, oh, I think. That's the most boring setting I can think of for I, him to go. I'm gonna bite the head off. I of wonder it. if that's why he did it to liven up the sales <laughs> convention. It's all like suits and stuff and just drones, and he's like, you know what? Fuck yeah. This place. Let me. Bite the head off of a, I don't know, hamster? Doves. Oh, another bird? Three no. of them. Three. Oh, fucking. Two at the convention Simone. and then a third dove later. Privately. Later in the day. <laughs> Just for fun. I was like, oh, that wasn't quite enough. I need another hit of them doves. It's not, yeah, he's not even doing it for other people at this point. He's like, oh, no. it's kind of tasty. Yeah. The bad I wouldn't do again with this. Tastes gamey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gross. Oh. Where does he get doves from? What does Who's he source- given him those doves? Yeah, stop. <laughs> irresponsible. Stop giving Ozzy Osbourne small animals. Yeah, please. <laughs> For everyone's sake. I'm surprised Peter's not been on this case yet. Yeah, I mean, they probably were. Yeah. Um, okay, Ozzy Osbourne annou- announces that he's ditched retirement plans and instead plans to go on tour again in a wheelchair. <laughs> And he's taking... That's a troll. He's taking the piss. That's that's a joke. Ozzy isn't. Ozzy is. Oh, of course. All right, that's everything from us. Uh, thank you so much for listening. That was episode three of Existential Dread. Produced by Madeline Drain and edited by me, Martin Loesch. Music by Con Neasel. 